hey, just about every day, uh, my son will come up to me and he'll, uh, he'll say, hey, have you seen this? And he'll stick a phone in my face, you know, and it, it's one of those deals that makes me feel uh, too old because it, it takes a minute to kind of focus on the screen and, and what he's trying to play and show me, but it's, it's typically uh, some highlight from one game or another, and it, it uh, reminds me of when I was a kid, you know, we didn't have uh, instant access to all of these highlights. In fact, when I was a kid, my folks didn't have uh, cable television, so even though ESPN, you know, Sports Center was a thing, uh, I never saw Sports Center growing up. Uh, I waited every week during the baseball season for this show that came on on Saturday called This Week in Baseball. And there were two segments in particular uh, on This Week in Baseball that I uh, loved to watch. The first segment it was the only segment during the show that my mom, if she was around, would, would stop what she was doing and watch with me. And she would just laugh and laugh and laugh. I just remember my mom laughing at these silly mistakes that these professional baseball players would make. Maybe they look something like this. Uh, nobody really wanted to show up on that segment of This Week in Baseball. I mean, these highly paid professional athletes at the top of their game making these ridiculous mistakes. Uh, there was another segment, though, on uh, This Week in Baseball that the athletes did want to show up on. It was, you know, the very best plays of the week. Maybe they looked like this. Well, right now it's spring training, and these uh, professional athletes, just like the ones we just watched, are practicing some of the most basic parts of the game of baseball over and over and over again. They're taking thousands of swings at a, a ball sitting stationary on a tee. They're, they're taking thousands and thousands of ground balls, some of them just rolled by hand directly at them. You know, they're, they're practicing these most basic elements of the game in order to move from one set of highlights to another set of highlights. They don't, they, 
they, they don't mind beginning maybe uh, the spring training, making some mistakes and, and making that first highlight reel, but that's not where they want to start the season or especially in the season. They want to, they want to grow and, and change as an individual player so that their team can collectively grow and change and, and make that second highlight reel. We've been in the series that we've been calling Game Plan, taking a look at a letter that Paul writes to this church that he founded in the city of Corinth. We, we learned in the first week that this city had gone wild, that, you know, to, uh, they, they used to say about people who were acting like Corinthians, that they were, you know, liars and couldn't be trusted, and that they would do whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, just because it felt good to them. It was, it was not a... Uh, uh, it was not something that you would say in support of another individual. It was to condemn the behavior of that other uh, individual, that they were behaving like a Corinthian. That town had gone wild. And perhaps consequently, uh, or, or because, you know, we should believe and we shouldn't be surprised that the church in Corinth as well had gone wild, that this was a church that was dealing with division and squabbles and arguments, that people were behaving selfishly. It was uh, overrun with sexual immorality. It was a church that uh, suffered, you know, selfishness and drunkenness. Even during, you know, celebration of the Lord's Supper, people were getting drunk and consuming all the wine and food so that those that came later, there wasn't enough for them. They're just selfish behavior and, and kind of wrong on all sorts of levels. It was a church that was in short making that first highlight reel. And Paul writes to them in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and says, come on, we've got to get to that other highlight reel. We've got to be maturing and we've got to be changing. And, and he wanted so much for those individual believers in Corinth to grow and to mature individually so that as a team, that church could grow and mature. And I believe that, that we, can, we can change individually, we can mature individually so that we can mature as a team and become that individual believer and that team that God desires for us. And I think that this chapter of scripture that we're going to take a look at this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 teaches us three fundamentals that we need to learn and participate and put into action so that we can mature as an individual, so that we can mature as a team and become that, that team that's moving from one highlight reel to the other and being the, the, the person and the team that God desires for us. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to do our best to work through this entire section of Scripture this morning, all 23 verses in chapter 3, and so it's going to be a little bit of, of some heavy lifting, but we're going to do the best we can as we discover these three fundamentals. Uh, maybe you're using the, the welcome packet. There's an outline on the back of that welcome packet that has a page number that'll take you quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and one of the Bibles and the chairs around you. Maybe you're using the Wallula Christian Church app. There's the outline there you can have access to as you fill in the blanks for these three fundamentals and, and you can find uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 quickly there as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this is what God's word says. 
But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. All right, three fundamentals that I think are taught here. Uh, Fundamental number one is that uh, we need to move from milk to meat. We need to move from baby food to solid food. We need to grow and mature. And, and, and so Paul begins the conversation by, by pointing that out right away. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? So Paul begins the conversation by by bringing to light the fact that there's two groups of people here uh, in, in the church in Corinth. There's two groups of people uh, that that he's talking to, and he he describes them as people uh, of the spirit and as people of the flesh. Now this is a really interesting conversation and we need to do our very best to understand what these two groups of folks look like. What are we talking about? And so I think we need to kind of look at some other areas of Paul's writings and and maybe we can get a little background here and and understand this better. I want to begin in Romans chapter 8. It's a a verse uh, section of scripture that we've looked at already in this series, but I want to go back to Romans chapter 8 verses 9 and 10. 
Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, this is a really interesting description, and, and it's really basic. It, it, it's simple, because even a guy like me can understand what Paul is saying. He's saying, hey, a spiritual person is somebody who has the Spirit. If the Spirit is in you, if you've begun a relationship with Jesus, if you said yes to him, then the Spirit has moved in. He's indwelt us. He lives in us, and that makes us a spiritual person because we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Really basic, really simple, huh? It's easy to understand. Say yes to Jesus, Spirit moves in, you become a spiritual person. It's not based on on what we do or how we behave or any of those things outside of the fact that the Spirit is to make us different from the inside out, which is sort of where Paul moves in Galatians chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. So if you can you can turn over a, a, a book or two after First uh, Corinthians, and you can find Galatians chapter 3, and we'll take a look at verses 2 to 3. Galatians chapter 3 says, let me ask you only this, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So Paul builds on this basic idea that people who have a relationship with the Spirit are spiritual people. Say yes to Jesus, the Spirit moves in. There's no sort of, there's no sort of work or, or, or action that we, we do outside of saying yes to Jesus through baptism. The Holy Spirit moves in, and we're spiritual people. And, and then Paul says, but here's the key. You, you have the Spirit of God. You have the Holy Spirit invested in your life, indwelling you. So you'd better pay attention to him. Doesn't that make sense? Once in a while, uh, my kids will, will tell me they have something they need to accomplish at school. Maybe they need to make up a test that they missed for a game, or they need to turn in some assignment, or they need to take something especially to the office, and I'll ask them a pretty simple question. You know, when are you going to do this? How are you going to do this? Because you have to do A, B, and C, and they'll say uh, something along the lines, well, I'll just do it during this class. And I'll ask, well, are you sure you can do it during that class? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I'll just tell the teacher that I'm going to do that. And I always wonder, well, how's that going to work out? Uh, because, you, you know, you, theoretically, the, the teacher is the person with authority in that class, right? And, and sometimes as a student, we just assume this will be fine, this will be okay, and I'll say it out loud, and so that'll make it so. But that's not really how life works. You know, it's very possible that, that that student comes into that classroom and says, hey, I need to do this, can I do this, may I do this? And the teacher says, no, we're too busy, we're not doing that today. Right? That, that's the way life sort of works, and we expect it to work. And sometimes we just assume that we can override that decision. We'll just ignore that decision. We'll just do what we want to do. And, and maybe that's sort of a, simple, a, a kind of simple idea when we think about it in just very practical terms with a teacher and student, except that that's kind of how we live our lives on occasion, even as followers of Jesus. Even as folks who have said yes to him and, and the Holy Spirit has moved in, we have access to the Spirit, we have the Spirit leading us, prompting us, uh, changing us from the inside out, and at least on occasion in my life I know, I've just said, well, no, I, I need to do this. I choose to do this. 
I, I don't want to do what you're saying. I'd rather behave like this. And we just believe that it'll be okay for us to ignore the Spirit and for us to do our own thing, that we can, we can overrule that authority in our life. Have you begun by the Spirit uh, and now you're being perfected by the flesh? Can you say yes to the Spirit and now change your life by your own choices and do your own thing, ignoring the authority that you've accepted in your life? Paul goes on to, to give us a description of what it looks like when we ignore the Spirit and we live by the flesh and what it looks like when we say yes to the Spirit and we live by the Spirit. In another letter he wrote to a guy by the name of Titus in Titus uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Paul writes this, remind them to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish. We ourselves once lived in the flesh, and we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions uh, and, and, and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Right? That's a description of a person living in the flesh. We live with our own selfish desires in mind. We're not concerned about others. But when the goodness and loving kindness in verse 4 of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, we said yes to Jesus in baptism in the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moves in and he begins to make us new from the inside out, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Uh, sometimes we think about this difference that, that Paul is highlighting between these two kinds of people, these two choices that we can make in our life, to be a people, to be a person of the Spirit, and to be a person of the flesh. And we think of being a person of the flesh as following Jesus, as just sort of being, well, it's just a little bit better, huh? I, it's just a little bit different. But that's not the description we read from Paul in Titus chapter 3. Did, did you read the huge difference, the change in language? That we were once selfish, we hated each other. We pursued our own selfish desires. We did what we wanted to do, when we wanted to do it, because it felt good at the time. And we didn't care about the consequences. We didn't think ahead to those things. But when the Spirit moves in, it doesn't change us a little bit. God doesn't, doesn't want just a little part of us. He doesn't want a relationship with us where we acknowledge Him just a little bit. You know, he, he doesn't talk about, and we'll get back to this in, in the third chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, God doesn't want us to, to think that, well, yeah, our, our job is important, and our family is really important. And, and, you know, the, 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 the fun things we do on the weekend, those are really important. And, oh, by the way, Jesus is kind of important, too. That's not the relationship that he desires for us to have with him. That's not the attitude he wants us to approach that relationship with. And that's not the difference that he wants to make in our life. 
He wants to change us completely. Here at Wallula, we talk about equipping the believer and transforming the casual. Transforming, that's a huge, big, important word. It can even be a word that's sort of offensive, huh? If you walk in here and you hear some preacher saying, hey, God wants to transform you, you might say, well, why? What's so wrong? What's the big deal? Well, know that the preacher is acknowledging, first of all, that he absolutely is in desperate need of that transformation. But God desires that for every single one of us. That we would be made completely new. That his grace wouldn't be poured out a trickle at a time, but that it would overwhelm us. And oh, by the way, this spirit who raised Jesus from the dead wouldn't be in us just kind of a little bit. To be dealt out in small doses. But that he'd be poured out abundantly, overflowing us. Take a look at Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Think about the difference that it means in, in the eyes of, of, of Paul, in the eyes of Jesus, to be a person of the flesh and to be a person of the spirit, to be a spiritual person or a, a fleshly person, a worldly person. Well, you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and uh, we read about this difference between spiritual people and people of the flesh, and it, it kind of raises this, this uh, theological debate a little bit. You know, we, we concern ourselves with ideas uh, uh, about whether a, a person who has said yes to Jesus, can they, can they even be, you know, a, a flesh, worldly kind of Christian? Is that possible to do? And I think there's a little nuance here that we'll deal with just momentarily. Because this isn't the most important part, but just, just momentarily. Paul, the Greek kind of changes when he talks about people of the flesh in, in chapter 3, verse 1. And then he talks about the natural person. Some translations will use the word flesh again in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. And, and Paul says the natural person, well, he's, he hasn't said yes to Jesus. He doesn't have Jesus in his life. That's a person who has, not, who has uh, as of yet, said yes to Jesus. And Paul uses a, a little different Greek that's translated in much the same way in chapter 3 as a person of the flesh when he says this is a person who said yes to Jesus but they're, they're living like Galatians chapter 2 describes. They're living as a person who has invited the spirit in and then they're ignoring him. They're, they're saying yeah I, I know that I have this uh, authority that I have this teacher that I have this advocate in my life but I'll just, I'll just tell them what I'm going to do. I'll just choose my own path instead of following him. And, and so Paul really, we might have this theological debate. Scholars might argue about this. Paul could care less. He doesn't deal any time with it. It's so obvious to him in chapter 3. Of course these believers whom he, who, he taught about Jesus who he baptized a few of these folks, right? He was there for a year and a half, and he gave them the baby food that we're going to talk about in a minute. He, he, he saw them say yes to Jesus. Of course, they are followers of Jesus with, with the Spirit as a part of their life. They're just ignoring him, and that's even a way bigger deal to Paul than somebody who's yet to say yes to Jesus. 
You might remember, I know I do, my mom being upset with me or my dad being upset with me and them saying something like this after having a conversation. I'm not sure how you could make this choice because you knew better. Right? And you sort of saw the disappointment on your parents' face. And it's not so much because they never made a poor choice or that you've never made a poor choice before, but because you were supposed to have matured past whatever poor choice you just made. You knew better. And it's sort of with that heart that Paul is writing 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I started down, you down this road and I gave you this food. He, he, he talks about you, you, you were, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. You know, you think about just baby food. It, it made me think about baby food and some of the weird combinations that sometimes are available as, as uh, infants to eat. And I found some of the weirdest combinations. I thought, I thought we'd play a little game quickly, and you just tell me which one of these is the actual baby food that you could buy on a store shel- shelf somewhere, okay? Uh, purple Roots and Fruits Yogurt Mishmash. Or how about pumpkin and pineapple yogurt mishmash? Or how about carrot and clementine yogurt mishmash? It just all sounds delicious, doesn't it? Which one is, is, is the actual food? It's the purple roots mishmash. I don't know. Anyway, you could choose that. Or how about cran, cranberry celery uh, quinoa? I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm not really sure. That's some kind of like grain, right? It's like rice. Normal people would just eat rice. But we're going to be more healthy. We're going to have quinoa because it sounds cooler. Or how about vanilla banana berry risotto or coconut raspberry risotto? Well, the real choice, the, the one you could buy is vanilla banana berry risotto. Last one, okay? How about spinach, butternut, squash, and blackberry? Delicious. Spinach, apples, and rutabaga. I just don't think I've ever had a rutabaga. I, anyway, uh, turnip, celery, root, and parsnips. Uh, you can actually buy the spinach, apples, and rutabaga. That just sounds delicious, doesn't it? So this is really goofy kind of combinations that sometimes we feed to our kids, these baby foods. And it made me think, well, I've grown past that, right? Uh, you know, we're thinking about spring training and baseball, and, and I'm not going to eat, you know, spinach and rutabaga at the ballpark. But I might choose some of these combinations. Like if you went to a ball game in Seattle, you could purchase and eat toasted grasshoppers. Or how about in Texas at the Ranger game, you could buy a chicken and donut slider. It's got to be better for you than raspberry and rutabaga or whatever. Uh, maybe not. Or, or how about in Kansas City, my very sophisticated palate has enjoyed these brisket nachos before, right? This combination of food. Or maybe in Miami, bacon-wrapped plantain. Uh, plantain, I've never had one of those either. That looks like a banana, right? But if you wrap it in bacon, I bet I would eat that. In Arizona, you know, the normal kind of baseball fare is a corn dog. We've had a corn dog before or whatever, and, and, but in Arizona, you can buy a churro dog. That's a, like a corn dog, but instead of the cornmeal coating deal, you use a churro, you know, cinnamon and, and sugar. And I, I, I don't know if those combinations are like better for you than the baby food combinations, but at the very least, they're different. 
right? We've grown, we've changed, maybe for the worse when we're thinking about those food combinations, but we've changed in that process. And Paul said, man, I left you with the basics. I left you with this baby food, meaning I shared the story of Jesus and you said yes to him. And you have this basic knowledge, this important knowledge about the way that Jesus has made you different and that he's rescued you, the story of salvation. But I want you to keep growing past that. The, the only problem is, is that you're, you weren't ready for it then when I was there for a year and a half and then, you, then I left and you weren't ready to hear it and now I'm writing you this letter and you're still not ready for it because you, you, you haven't lived uh, in submission to the Spirit. For you're still of the flesh, verse 3 says. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, uh, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now, this is sort of hard to hear, isn't it? Because we think, well, what in the world is wrong with being human? Of course, we are only human. We use that language all the time, don't we? We're, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fail because we're only human. And, and to be human, by the way, is sort of the pinnacle, not sort of, it is the pinnacle of God's creation. The creator, sustainer, redeemer of the universe designed us and shaped us in his image. That's pretty cool. And here Paul says, quit acting like mere humans. Almost as much as I love baseball, I love superhero stories. And you read any good superhero story and something happens to that person, right? The teenager walks in on the, on the school trip and he's taking pictures when this radioactive spider bites him. And then what happens? Well, he can climb walls, right? He's changed, he's made different. You go back to that idea in, in Titus chapter 3, the first seven verses, that when the Spirit moves into our life, it should change us. It should make us different. We're not merely human any longer. That's a super strong statement, right? That's hard to grasp. I'm not even sure if I should be saying that out loud, except that's the promise that God makes. That when we say yes to Jesus, the same Spirit, catch this, don't let this just be something that a preacher says. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead makes his home in us. We are no longer, we no longer have the right to choose our own path. We no longer have the authority to make the choices that make us feel good. We have submitted, we have given in, we have become slaves to Jesus. And his spirit is steering our life. Paul goes on to say, what then is Apollos, what is Paul, servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Did you catch that that's the same, that's the same train of thought, isn't it? Because sometimes, and this is, this is okay, Paul's in other places going to say, I want you to follow my example just as I follow the example of Jesus. Right? We need spiritual mentors in our lives. We need folks we can look up to and follow their example. But, but Paul is saying, those folks don't really matter. 
right? He said whether it's Paul or whether it's Apollos, neither who who plants nor he who waters is anything. That's tough language too. They're not a little bit good. They're not pretty important too. They're not anything outside of a relationship with Jesus. We're going to talk about this foundation in a minute, and that foundation is Jesus. If it's anything else, it'll crumble and fail. At least in the eyes of eternity. He who plants and he who waters are one, though, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. We need to choose to live in submission to that spirit living inside of us. And we need to choose to move from milk to meat. To, to follow his promptings, to obey. To ignore our own selfish desires rather than ignoring the spirit. Now here's the truth. That is not easy to do. Right? When you think about anybody maturing in any way, that process is not easy. You know, it takes three things. It, it takes time. Every one of us is in process, still to this day. Some of us further along than others, but every one of us is still growing. It takes time because sometimes, at least in my life, I take a couple steps forward and I take more back, you know? It takes time. Uh, Paul acknowledges that. He understands that. And at the same time, we can't allow that truth to be an excuse for our life. Paul said, it's time for you to move from milk to meat. Uh, it takes time to mature. It, it, it also it takes courage. You know, there's a reason that we keep going back to sin. It doesn't make any sense, does it? Paul describes it like this when he says, you know, I, there, there's this stuff that I want to do and I fail to do it and I don't know why because I want to do it but I don't do it and the stuff that I shouldn't do, I do do. Do do. Yeah. Right? He says it's really hard. We keep going back to sin. Even though Jesus died for us, even though our sin that was like a crimson stain is washed away. Even though it's completely gone, we choose to go back. Why do we choose to go back? The truth is because, at least initially, sin is a little bit fun. But secondly, and more importantly, I think, in our lives, it's because we are selfish and we are lazy, and sin is easy. Sin is easy. It feels good at the moment. We don't worry about the consequences. We do what we want. And when we live that way, it to not live that way, rather, requires us to be courageous. It requires us to, to have guts. You know, that maturity process requires time, it requires courage, and it requires humility. Right? We can't stand apart from the Spirit and do what we want. Paul says that we belong to God and we have to acknowledge Him as our Savior and as our Lord. And when we do that, that means allowing the Spirit to work on us, following Him, submitting to Him. That's a difficult word for us to come to terms with. It requires humility. Time and, and guts and humility. For sure, we can move from milk to meat. And, and fundamental number two, we can, we can continue, we can, we can build on the foundation that's present in our lives as followers of Jesus. 
Paul says this in verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Sometimes in church, we just get used to the way things are, don't we? I mean, some of you, you kind of have the row you sit in, right? And some of us, I, I, just a couple weeks ago, I, I harassed a family too much. I acknowledge that once in a while I do that. I, I poked fun too much probably because they, they came at the wrong service, right? They usually attend one service and they showed up at the other one. And I said, what in the world's going on? And they compounded the issue by sitting in the wrong spot. You know, they always sit in one row or thereabouts, and, and they were in a completely different section of the worship center, and I said, what is wrong with you? Right? What's going on? We get used to things a certain way. You know, I was getting ready last week for, uh, uh, to come up and, and, and preach, and, and I walked by somebody, and I said, you know, Craig's singing from the wrong side of the stage. What's he, that was never approved. Right? What's he doing? We get used to things in a certain way. I remember uh, 14 years ago when I interviewed here at Wallula, I preached a, a sermon that morning. I answered some questions before or after, I don't remember, and I wore a jacket and tie that morning, right? Because that's when you have to impress people. Anyway, so I wore a jacket and tie, and somebody asked me, will you wear a jacket and tie every Sunday? And I said, no. No, I won't do that. You know, no, we're going we're gonna to dress a certain way and we do that for strategy and reason and all that sort of silly stuff, right? And I say it's silly because we get used to things a certain way, one way or another, and that's our preference, but the truth is that none of it matters if our foundation is not Jesus, right? We strive to, to, to preach in a way, to teach God's word in a way that makes sense to people. We, we strive to, to have songs and worship that is uplifting and fun and, and sounds a little bit maybe like what they're hearing and on the radio so that people can relate to it. We try to dress, even though I've never been cool, you know, we try to dress in a way that allows people to be comfortable and, and all those things. We just want you to be at home and, and come and worship and, and we strive to do that. But the truth is that none of that matters at all if the foundation is not Jesus. That's true in our churches, that's true in our lives. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, in verse 12, uh, Paul makes this list of, of materials. And we know if you've done any kind of project, home improvement, craft, any kind of project, you know that the materials matter, right? If, if you use really high-quality materials, the job is, is theoretically, unless I'm involved, going to last longer, than if you use less good materials, lower quality materials. Uh, Paul is, is using this list of materials to describe our choices. When we make wise choices, there, there are consequences to those wise choices. There are benefits potentially to those wise choices. And when we make silly, goofy, foolish choices, there are consequences to those choices. He says each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. That capital D means the Lord's day. That's judgment day, right? God is going to judge these decisions. The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test, that, uh, test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Our choices have consequences, they matter. Even though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. 
So this is what Paul is saying. This is really good news, by the way. Paul is saying that even though we take a step back and maybe we, we take a step forward rather than we take two steps back, that doesn't change the fact that Jesus has rescued us and he's saved us and he's made a way for us to spend eternity with him in his presence. That is awesome. That is very, very, very good news for somebody who has lived a life taking a step back and maybe two back, step forward and two back, right? By the way, I think that's probably most of us. That's really very good news. The not so good news, or depending on how you look at it is, is that there are consequences to that sin in this life. You know, they'll be judged and they'll be tested and they'll be rewarded and there'll be consequences. That's not me. That's God. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 14 and 15. We, we need to build on that foundation that is Jesus. If we don't, then nothing really matters. Nothing outside of that matters. Finally, fundamental uh, number three is to protect the team. Verse 16 and 17 are really important. Do, not, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This, th these verses are both individual and collective. All right, they're both, they're both single, singular and plural. This is important to understand because sometimes we use these verses only to talk about the stuff we might do to our body and how that matters, and that, that matters. And, and Paul's going to go on, especially in 1 Corinthians, to talk about sexual immorality and how sexual immorality is different from almost everything else we do and how that sexual immorality has consequences in our relationships in our body and that we are destroying individually or in that side, that relationship or the relationships there, we're destroying the temple of God. But what's even more important to Paul than individually destroying that individual temple to God is the distraction and the harm that it does to his team, to his family, the church. See, we are individually the temple of God, and we are collectively the temple of God. And those choices, those materials we use to build on the foundation of Jesus have benefits and they have consequences individually and collectively. And Paul is writing of 1 Corinthians in such a powerful way here in chapter 3 because that harm that is done to God's team is too big and matters too much. The church is, after all, the hope of the world. And so when the church is planted in the city that's gone wild, in the city of Corinth, and then it behaves likewise, the hope of the world is lost because that difference that should be made as people of the Spirit instead of people of the flesh is lost. Paul is essentially saying, don't destroy the temple. Stop thinking like people of the flesh and stop acting like people of the flesh so that we can be the hope of the world. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. Don't lean on your own understanding, but build on that foundation of Jesus. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise and their craftiness, and again the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, uh, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, 
For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, if they're built on that foundation, they're all pointing back to that foundation and they matter. They're all ours, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. See, that relationship with Jesus and that foundation that we're building upon, that protection of the team and pointing each other back to that foundation uh, leads us to that eternal relationship and, and it offers us the hope of being in the very presence of God for all of eternity. Look, I know that chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians is tough, and I know that this is not an easy message even to hear. I get it. I struggled all week with this. You, ha- you, I, you just need to know. That some, some passages of Scripture are easy to preach and some are hard, and this is one of those hard ones. It reminded me of, well, spring training, those baseball players trying to move from, you know, one highlight reel to the second highlight reel. Uh, several years ago when the Royals were really bad, this year they might be really bad again, but when they were really bad before... They hired this guy to be manager. His name was Trey Hillman. And Trey Hillman uh, was, was just kind of a different kind of deal. He was sort of an odd mix, right? He was, he was from Texas, so he had sort of that Texas swagger and kind of that macho Texas guy kind of mentality. But then he rode a unicycle in the clubhouse. Just a weird mix. Right, and one of the very first things he did was during spring training, the team had had an especially bad day, and, and especially on the bases, they had made base running air after base running air, and Hillman said, well, we can't be this kind of team. And so he gathered the entire team at home plate, and he sort of chastised them, he admonished them. He, he spoke to them and said, we can't be this kind of team in front of just everybody who was still milling around the stands at spring training. You know, you're much closer to the players even. So there are fans who were just eavesdropping on this conversation. And some people really loved that. They thought, this is a guy who has high standards and he'll let everybody know. And some people thought that was the exact wrong thing to do. Because there's a time and a place for that kind of conversation. And there's a time and a place, and certainly those athletes needed admonished. They needed somebody to come alongside them and correct them and tell them, we can't play like this, we know better than to play like this, but they thought that should have happened inside of a clubhouse with that team meeting. You need to understand, please hear this, that this morning was simply one of those clubhouse kind of meetings, that we serve a God who loves us so much. I love you guys so much. You know, Jesus loves us so much that he knows and understands that every single one of us is a sinner in desperate need of a Savior, and he is that Savior who rescues us where we are at. But his love doesn't stop there. It's bigger than that, and he refuses to leave us where we are. And sometimes we need admonished by his word to remember that we can't, we can't continue living on milk we have to move to meat we have to build on the foundation that is jesus and we have to protect the team that he gives us we have to continue to move from one highlight reel to the other to mature and grow to change individually and to change collectively as a team let's stand and worship him